You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Man, I'm excited about today, just excited about being in the house of the Lord. My Kentucky Wildcats finally got a big win over a top 25 team yesterday, um, our hated rival, the Tennessee Vols. And so um, especially after this terrible season that we've been having, um, in case you, you guys um, haven't gotten the memo, I am a, an incredibly obnoxious Kentucky Wildcats fan, particularly when it comes to the basketball season and um, this year, in case you haven't been following, it's been bad, like like historically bad. So um, yeah, I'm celebrating. I'm in my blue and white, and I'm pumped and ready to go. Hey, if you got your Bible um, or you got a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to um, to the New Testament. We're going to be in Hebrews. Um, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter thirteen. We will land there um, momentarily. Um, I don't know about you, but but have, has anyone noticed that everything these days seems to come with a free trial, right? Like all the commercials, all the advertising that we see. I mean, it's it's streaming services, you know, Disney Plus, WandaVision. What what? You got to get that. Um, you got to get that free trial to see if you like what they've got on there. It's memberships like at the gym or like going to Sam's Club or Costco or whatever. You can try it out just to be sure um, that they have what you're looking for. Uh, Various products. Um, There's now mattresses that you can sleep on for a hundred days and then send it back for a full refund if you decide that you don't like it. Um, it's, it's stuff, stuff like this. And, and as a, this is all over the place. And as a society, we've, we fully embrace this whole try before you buy concept. And, and it feeds into our ever increasing desire for instant gratification. That if something doesn't live up to the expectations that we've set for it, that we'll simply cast it to the side and we'll move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing until we eventually find the thing that we are looking for. And there is perhaps no better example of this or, or no better concept that has, uh, as a practice, has paved the way for this to be um, evident in our uh, our society and our behavior at large than test driving a car, right? How many have ever, ever test driven a car? Um, Carvana, I don't know if you are familiar with Carvana. They now have these car vending machines. It's like a big tower and you see a spiral full of cars and you can actually um, purchase a car out of this vending machine. Um, they're popping up all over the country. It's the, it's the, the country's fastest growing car dealership, Carvana. And now they have extended, um, the, the test drive on all of their cars for a full seven days, a full week. Because they know that it's not just enough for us to know like the, the size of the engine and the gas mileage rate, um, the transmission details, the specs of the turning radius, and, and have a list of all of the various options that are offered on that vehicle. What car dealers know is that people like you and me, we have to feel it. We have to experience. 
experience it. We have to get inside of it and watch as it happens. You and I, we want to hear the roar of the engine come to life as we turn the key in that ignition. We want to get it out on the road and see how it accelerates how it handles in the curves, how it, how it breaks and comes to a stop. We want to hear the sound of our favorite music pumping through the stereo system. We want to look into that rear view mirror and see ourselves sitting there in that driver's seat, breathing in that new car smell. Mm. If we just take a moment and you take a deep breath, you can go there in your mind. And tucked away into the recesses of your memory banks, that smell will come to the forefront. You know what it is. The reason that we want to have this experience is because this is a big commitment and we need to be sure, right? We got to be sure that it's the right thing. And see, we've all allowed this mindset to carry over into other parts of our lives from, from the, this, this area of the marketplace into these other areas, this idea of instant gratification. And, and here, especially of late, we're seeing um, a, a lot more prevalently that this is seeped into our romantic relationships as well. And this is not just an issue outside of the church. That is of growing concern, but this is a growing cause of concern as it is an increasing issue inside of the church. And so let me be clear before I go any further in today's message. You need to know, whether you're here in person, whether you're watching with us online, that Christ Walk Church is a place that you can belong before you believe. And so if you're here with us today, if you're watching online and you have yet to put your faith and trust, your hope in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to know that I, we, we're glad that you're here with us. This is a great place for you to be. You need to also know that I'm going to let you off the hook this morning, that if, if you're not a Christ follower, and then this book right here that I'm getting ready to pull some truths out of, it really doesn't apply to your life. Um, and so you're not expected to live by those guidelines and those standards. However, you do need to understand that what we're getting ready to talk about, I believe this church believes that it is the best and really the only way that we should live. Everybody clear about that? Are we good? Okay. Just want to be sure. That the principles of this book, the Bible, God's word, it is the best, and, and as far as I'm concerned, the only way to live. And, and I would love nothing more than for those of you that are here that may not be Christ followers to, to make the decision today to surrender your life to him and begin to live his way. Now, with that being said, for the rest of us, those of us who have placed our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, those of us that do claim to be a Christ follower, that it's a much different story for you and me because we are responsible for living in accordance with these biblical truths. And there are some of us within the church that by our actions, we are misrepresenting to those outside of the faith what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. And hear me now, that needs to stop immediately, like right now. 
But let me also be clear that if you're here today, whether you claim to be a Christ follower or not, there's grace and there's mercy and there's forgiveness that is found at the foot of the cross. And you don't have to stay stuck in a lifestyle of sin. You don't have to leave this place the same way that you came in. You don't have to, to, to close your computer or, or your smart device the same way that you tuned in this morning. There is healing, there is freedom, there is salvation that can be found in Jesus Christ. And so I just want to be very clear about that and very clear about my intentions before we jump in to our topic for today. Because today we're in part two of a series called The Naked Truth, where we are taking a look at the the um, topics of sex, marriage, and relationships through the lens of the Bible. And I believe that if we will mine out the truths of God's word and begin to apply those truths in our lives, that you and I, we can have the best marriages, full of the best sex, and overall, we can have the very best relationships that we could think possible. Last week in part one of this series, we talked about the connection between sex and servanthood within the marriage relationship. And we learned that, that sex and servanthood are both an integral part into a healthy marriage. And that when it comes to fulfillment in our marriage, we is always greater than me. We is always greater than me. And so in part two of this series, for the next few minutes that I have today, um, I want to talk about a couple uh, concepts, a couple topics that are, are um, closely interrelated, and those are the topics of covenant and cohabitation. Covenant and cohabitation. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, um, you turn there, we're going to look at verse 4 um, together this morning as a, as a launching point. It says, give honor to marriage. Um, we don't know exactly who wrote uh, Hebrews, but we think it may have been Paul. Um, give honor to marriage, the author writes, and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. So right there off the bat in, in this one verse, um, the author is showing to us that, that the marriage relationship is to be placed on a pedestal. It's, it's important. It's, it's not just something that, that we toy around with. It is, it's, um, it is, is something to be put in a position of honor. You don't put the important stuff on the bottom shelf where it's hidden and out of the way. You put it on the top shelf where it's in full display for everyone to see. It's important. You win the Nobel Prize. You don't put it in a trunk in the, in the attic. Right? It's out on the shelf. You want people to see it. It's in a prominent place of honor. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. That means that when you enter into a marriage covenant, you're in a relationship um, with your spouse that, that the, the idea there is that you're going to be committed to one another, that you're going to be faithful, that you're not going to venture outside the boundaries of that relationship, that, that marriage is not something, and those, these kinds of relationships are not something that, that should be easy to get out of. 
And he says, God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. In other words, God's going to judge people who don't live their lives in in accordance with this here at, at the beginning of this verse, giving honor to marriage and remaining faithful to each other in marriage. So I realize that this is kind of a heavy topic that we're talking about this morning. And um, as we kind of continue to to walk through this, I just want to be sure that we're clear on a couple terms um, that that you've heard already and what they mean. And and, uh, so the definitions are going to be right here. Um, Cohabitation and adultery. Those are those are two two terms that that we don't necessarily use on a daily basis. Uh, I think we have an idea of of what they are, but I just want to be sure that for our working purposes this morning that we're all on the same page with what they mean. Cohabitation is the state or condition of living together as husband and wife without being married. And then adultery is engaging in a sexual relationship with someone who is not your spouse, someone that you have not entered into a covenant uh, relationship agreement with, and um, as kind of a launching point for uh, for this morning, I, I love this quote from Chris Valaton, and he says he says this: the difference between cohabiting and covenant or marriage is that cohabiting says, and this may sound familiar for those of you that were here last week, cohabiting says, I am in this relationship for what I can get. While covenant says, I'm in this relationship for what I can give. Most people who cohabit refuse to sign a piece of paper that says, I will stay with you forever because they use the fear of abandonment to manipulate their partner to get what they want. Ultimately, what cohabitation is about is, and, and, and the reason this is such a, a, a big thing, not just in society at large, but even within the church, is because there's a great deal of tension here when it comes to these kinds of relationships. When it comes to relationships that are centered on romantic love, the tension that takes place is, is we have to decide, are we going to love that person because they make us happy, because they make us feel good, because they meet all of our needs? So are we going to love them based on feeling and emotion? Or are we going to love them because we choose to? Because we're just going to take action and we're just going to to do it. See, that's where the tension is. I love you because you make me happy, because you make me feel good, because you meet all my needs. Or I love you because I choose to. And my question would be that if we choose the, the first of those things, well, then what happens when that person stops making us happy? Or they stop making us feel good. Or we wake up in the bed with them one morning and they breathe their dragon breath into our face and and melt our eyebrows off of our forehead. And we talk all the time and it's, it's, it's all over, it's all over our entertainment, our media and Hollywood and everything. They've, they've, they've projected this image of what love relationships are supposed to be. And, and, and we talk about it all the time around Valentine's Day and everything. And, and we want to know, tell me the story of when you fell in love. Right? You fell in it or, or you, when you, when you felt in love is maybe where that comes from. See, love is, it's not a feeling. That lust is a feeling, 
But love is not a feeling. It's, it's not the, the butterflies in your tummy. That's not, that's not love. Love isn't a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is not something that we slip and fall into accidentally. We're not just walking along one day and, oh my goodness, I'm now in love. No, love is something that we choose to enter into, that we choose to welcome into our life, that we choose to embrace. I can remember early on in my relationship with my wife, Sarah, I would tell her, I love you. And she would say, why? And so what she was wanting back is she wanted me to list all of these reasons, all of these things about which there are many. Don't get me wrong. There are many. All of these things of why I loved her. And I would always say, because I choose to. And that just frustrated the mess out of her. (laughs) She used to get so mad at me when I would do that. I love you. Why do you love me? Because I choose to. Because I choose to. I wanted her to know that like I'm in this purposefully. And intentionally. Like like there's there's a goal in mind here. See, a lot of us, we, we want to kick the tires just to be sure that things are going to work out before we make a commitment. And this, in and of itself, like at its very core, this kind of attitude, it's, it's selfish. This attitude says that marriage is about me and what I can get out of it rather than what I can contribute to it. And it also perpetuates the idea, this whole idea of cohabitation and, and testing the waters. It perpetuates this idea that a successful marriage is dependent upon us. But it's not. A successful marriage is dependent upon God. And if he is in the center of any relationship, it will not and it cannot fail. So my question then, this I have a lot of questions when it comes to this topic. So my next question this morning is that how can we choose to live in a way that directly distorts the God-given directives for the covenant of marriage in our lives and expect God to bless it? Because there are so many people trying to do just that. Exodus 20.14, this is where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Like these are the most important things that our faith is based on. And one of them is this right here. You must not commit adultery. You must not be in a sexual relationship with someone who is not your spouse. That is 10% of the things that we are as a faith. But yet, we push that to the side and we say, no, our way is better. We say, our way is better. God, we, we see you, we see what you're saying right there, but, but we, we, gotta, we gotta be sure. The only way that we can be sure is to take things on a little test drive. We hear the voice of the Lord in, in Deuteronomy chapter 31 saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the model that he set up for his people right there from the very beginning. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And, and, and in Genesis 2, we talk about how, how the man will, will leave his family and he will cleave to his wife, that they will stick together. There's no escape clause. 
That's why we make vows. That was, that was uh, instituted right there at the beginning of time when God created man and woman. But yet cohabitation and this idea that we've bought into, it, it begins with us creating an out for ourselves. That if I don't like it, if it ends up not working out for me, I'll simply return it and try something else. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, where he says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. He's pointing back to that scripture from Genesis chapter 2. And he says, Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. That's how serious the Lord takes this kind of relationship. That once those two things have come together, and once they have consummated that relationship through the act of sexual intercourse, and that those two flesh have become one flesh, and they are now joined together that they are not to be separated. That's the seriousness with which God looks at this. What he's saying is that that this kind of relationship that is based on covenant, that that this marriage, it's it's, it's not a 50-50 thing. It's a 100-100 thing that both people come into this thing and they give their all. They give 100% with Jesus right there at the middle of it. I like to explain it this way. Here's what our marriage relationships should look like. You've got your husband. You've got the wife. This triangle in the middle and right here is God at the top. In my relationship with Sarah, my first priority is to focus on my relationship with God. And then she takes second place. In her part of being married to me, her first responsibility, her first priority is to focus on her relationship with God. And I take second place. But watch what happens in this covenant relationship. As we get closer and closer to God, what is the natural byproduct of that? As we grow closer and closer to God, the natural byproduct of that is that we grow closer and closer together. That's what the covenant relationship is based on, and that's why God put things in this order. This isn't just some willy-nilly, like, happenstance coincidence. This is part of his divine design for our lives. Yet, we have still continued to buy into the lie that cohabitation is a better starting point for us. In a recent survey, Pew Research put out some numbers and um, they're, they're really quite alarming to me. Uh, since 1995, the number of married Americans has dropped by 6%. During that same time, the number of Americans cohabitating has increased by 4%. And over the last seven years, we've seen a significant shift in terms of relationships within marriage and relationships within uh, cohabitating couples. Um, Over the last seven years, the percentage of individuals living with an unmarried partner has now surpassed the number of individuals who have ever been married. Okay? 
Everybody with me? So what we're seeing in our country is a shift of where we're now the, the, the covenant relationship of marriage is now taking a backseat to the cohabitating relationships that are becoming more and more prevalent across the board. Yet, despite this trend and despite our belief that, that it's better if we try it out first, to see if it's going to work despite this trend. Married couples report higher levels of trust and satisfaction in their relationship as compared to those cohabiting, uh, cohabitating across the board. Um, in terms of a percent of adults married or cohabitating with a partner saying that they trust their spouse or partner a great deal, um, uh, those, those married say they trust, uh, 84% of those married say they trust their, uh, their spouse or a great deal to be faithful to them as opposed to just 71% of those in a cohabitating relationship. 74% of those married say that they trust their spouse to act in their best interest as opposed to only 58% of those cohabitating. 68% of those married say that they trust their spouse to always tell them the truth, as opposed to only 52% of those cohabitating. 56% of those married say that they, they trust their spouse to handle money responsibly, which we know is a huge issue within uh, married and, and romantic relationships, as opposed to only 40% of those cohabitating. And in terms of, of satisfaction in their relationship overall, those married say that uh, 48% of them say that they're satisfied with their spouse's approach to parenting, while only 39% of cohabitating couples would say that. 46% of married couples would say that they are uh, satisfied with the way that the household chores are divided versus only 37% of those cohabitating. 44% say that they're satisfied with how well their spouse balances work and personal life, 44% of those married, while only 35% of those cohabitating said that they're satisfied with the way that their partner balances work and life. 43% of those married say that they're satisfied with how well they and their, their spouse communicate, while only 35% of those cohabiting say that they're satisfied. And 36% of married couples say that they are satisfied with their sex life, while only 34% of cohabitating couples are. So listen, if this applies to you, come on over to the marriage side. It is so much better over here. I don't know what you're waiting on. The sex is better. The communication is better. The trust factor is better. Like, get in on this while the getting is good, okay? <laughs> and so it, it turns out that this research shows that, that maybe God's way is the best way after all. And if that's the case, why would we choose to live any other way? Maybe you're thinking this morning, Pastor Blake, I, I do want to live God's way. But I'm stuck in the middle of this thing and everything that you're saying makes sense. And I do want to, I, I would like to take a step toward that, but I'm really not sure what to do. So now what? Now what? If you're taking notes, write these down. 
going to be pretty rapid fire, just three really practical things that you can do. And even if you're not in a cohabitating relationship, I would even encourage you to, to write these, these three things down because they, they translate so well to just life in general. But if you're, if you're in that kind of relationship and, and, and you're not under the covenant, the biblical covenant of what God has set forth, there's three things that, that you and I can do in, in order to, to get out of it, to make our way out of it. Number one, we've got to repent. We've got to repent. Repent means that we own up to the sin and then we turn away from it. That we recognize, hey, this is an area of my life that is not honorable and not pleasing to God. It's an area, it's, it's a behavior, it's, it's something that I'm participating in, it's something that exists that is separating, it's creating distance between me and my Heavenly Father. And so, so repenting, you need to understand, it's not just bringing it up, it's not just bringing it to light, it's also turning your back on it to move in the other direction. So the first thing we've got to do is repent. 1 John 1, 9 tells us this, if we confess our sins to him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You need to know that there is a God that loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross. So you don't have to live that way any longer. You don't have to be stuck in the mess and the dirt and the filth of sin. If you will just confess it, if you will bring it to light, then he will wipe it away and you no longer have to live that way any further. Amen? So first, we've got to repent. Number two, number two, we've got to respond. We've got to respond. When it comes to uh, cohabitation, we, we, we've, got, um, we've got two options if we're going to choose not to stay in that situation. Two options that we have are to get married or get moving. Get married or get moving. That means buy a ring or rent a U-Haul. One or the other. Both of them work. They are both viable solutions. But if you're not willing to put a ring on it, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, 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 oh. Um, if you don't get that, just find somebody like under the age of 30 and ask them. They'll explain it to you afterwards. They can pull up the video on, their, on, on YouTube, on their phone. But we've got two options. If, if we're going to get out of that, that, that setting, that scenario that we're in, we, we've got to get married or we've got to get moving. And, and what we've got to decide, what we've got to come to grips with is, is it going to be God's way or is it going to be our way? How are we going to continue to live? And if we're going to live God's way, then we need to buy a ring or we need to rent a truck. We need to either make it official or we need to move out. Get out from under that, one or one or the other. This is what Joshua chapter 24 says, verses 14 and 15. He's giving some instructions to the Israelites. They've stepped into the promised land. They're, they're getting ready to, to um, in, inhabit the land. And so Joshua's giving some instructions here. And he says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. 
Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We've all got a decision to make. We need to decide who we're going to serve. Are we going to serve our own interests? Are we going to serve our own desires? Or are we going to serve God and and put him first and, and his desires and his plans and his goals, his ways? Which one comes first? We have to choose. So we're being faced this morning with a choice that we have to respond to. Is it going to be our way or is it going to be his way? As far as I'm concerned, as far as Christ's walk is concerned, at least as long as I am the pastor here, as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do it his way. All right? So we got to repent. We got to respond. Number three, we've got to return. We've got to return. Come back to the guiding principles of God's word. Realign our hearts, realign our lives to the directives that are found in this book. Because this is the best way to live. It's not just something I say, it's something that I'm a product of. I've tried it my own way, it doesn't work. Every time I do it his way, it works out just fine. Zechariah 1, verses 3 through 4. God says, Zechariah 1 says, I don't know, I messed that up. Zechariah 1, 3 through 4 says, Therefore say to all the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Return to me and I will return to you. Says the Lord of heaven's armies. Don't be like your ancestors who would not listen or pay attention when the earlier prophets said to them, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, turn from your evil ways and stop all of your evil practices. So if you're in a relationship like that, the Lord's saying, hey, if you'll return to me, I'll return to you. All you've got to do is turn away from those evil deeds, those evil practices in your life. That's it. That's it. You repent, you respond, and you return. But you know what? This, it applies so much more than just a cohabitating relationship. So many more of us within the church today who in one way or another, we've wandered outside of the boundary of our covenant with Jesus. The decision that we've made and a a mindset that we've chosen to have, a behavior that we've displayed. And I feel so strongly that right here at the beginning of 2021 where there's so much doubt and so much fear and insecurity about what tomorrow holds and it seems like in a lot of ways, not just in our country, I mean, certainly there, but across the board, that our world is just in chaos and turmoil. I, I believe that what the Lord is, is saying more than anything else is, I'm just looking for a people who will turn their hearts back to me. 
I'm just looking for people who, who will, they'll, they'll return to me so that I can return to them. That they'll, they'll enter back into this covenant once again. Because what's happening is, is all over the church, there are people that, that it appears on the outside that we're on board. But we haven't fully committed to it in our hearts. We'll show up like to a place like this. We'll tune in online. We'll attend a life group. We'll even serve on a team. On the outside, it seems like we're doing all of the right things, but there hasn't been the change of heart to take place. And, and, and it, it boils down to this right here, I think, for me. And, and it's, it's that we've, we've, twisted, we've twisted commitment into something casual. We've twisted commitment into something casual. And, and you need to understand that this is not how Jesus conducted business. This is not the, the example that he set for us. This is not how he, he lived his life. And in fact, Jesus, he didn't, he didn't hide behind the cross. He was nailed to it and he hung on it. Jesus didn't hide behind the cross. He was nailed to it and he, and he hung on it. And I think that the, the root of this issue just um, in, in general is, um, is lukewarmness. It's lukewarmness. In Revelation 3, God says, I know all the things you do. He's talking to the church in Laodicea. Um, John the Revelator is writing this to the, the seven churches and And um, so this is to the church in Laodicea. And he says, I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Let me explain something. Maybe you've heard somebody communicate this or whatever. And you say, and and they would say like, um, when it comes to lukewarmness, like, They've told you that, that God would rather us be either on fire for him or super far away from him. No, that's not what he chooses. No, that's not what he's saying. Hot and cold in, in this reference, they're, they're the same thing. See, hot water is used for cleansing and healing and purification. Cold water brings refreshment and rejuvenation. And, and um, this particular uh, place that this was being written to, Laodicea, um, that city, for that city, their drinking water came via an, iod, an aqueduct, um, which was uh, from a spring that was six miles south of the city. And so by the time the water got there, for them to drink it, it was lukewarm. It, it wasn't like the nearby hot springs that people bathed in, nor was it cold and refreshing when they would drink it. It was, it was lukewarm, and, and people, when they drank it, 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 was, it would literally make them nauseous. It was good for nothing. It didn't heal. It didn't cleanse. It didn't refresh. It was just in the middle, and it was good for nothing. I believe that that is at the root of what we are dealing with right now in the church, particularly in America. And, and I, I put this in my notes. It's a, a quote, a paragraph from a commentary that I, that I use quite frequently. And it was just so good that I didn't want to try to paraphrase it. So if you'll bear with me, I'm going to close with this. 
says, clearly the lukewarm deeds of the Laodiceans were not in keeping with true salvation. The deeds of the true believer will be hot or cold. That is, they will benefit the world in some way and reflect the spiritual passion of a life transformed. Lukewarm deeds, however, those done without joy, without love, and without the fire of the Holy Spirit do harm to the watching world. The lukewarm are those who claim to know God but live as though he doesn't exist. They may go to church and practice a form of religion, but their inner state is one of self-righteous complacency. They claim to be Christians, but their hearts are unchanged. And their hypocrisy is sickening to God. See, when you and I live our lives this way, when we make that choice, we're not of any benefit to anyone. We're not benefiting ourselves. We aren't useful to God. And we aren't helping to build his kingdom by modeling a sold out life to Christ for those around us who don't know him. And so my final question today is this right here. When it comes to your marriage and even more when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ as a whole, are you going to choose to base it on convenience? Are you going to choose to base it on covenant? See, convenience says that I'm in up until the point that it no longer benefits me in any way. Covenant says I'm all in no matter what. Even when it's difficult. Even when it's not making me feel good. Even when it's hard to hear, hard to do. You're going to base your romantic relationships your relationship with Christ at large? Is it going to be on convenience? Is it going to be based on covenant? I know what the Lord would say. The Lord would say, return to me and I will return to you. If you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor Blake, I'm ready to take a step into that covenant relationship with Jesus Christ here in this room, watching online, if that's you, you would say, I'm I'm tired of playing games, but once and for all, I'm ready to take a step all in. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. God, I pray for for all of those who are within within earshot of my voice this morning. Lord, specifically for your your church today, Lord, those that that claim to be Christ's followers, Lord, I, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to no longer live in the middle to no longer live our lives full of of compromise, but but to decide today which side we're going to be on and then be on it. Lord, that that we would choose to take a step all in. Lord, that we we would enter into covenant with you in every area of our lives. 
God, that's why you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, to raise from the dead. So Lord, I I pray that you would help us to to quit living wishy-washy, compromised Christianity and instead that we would be all in. God, that our lives and everything that we do from from our marriages uh, all the way out, Lord, in the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we lead, the way that we serve, the way that we conduct our financial affairs, Lord, in everything, Lord, that we would be a people that are uncompromised and that we would be shining beacons of light to the dark places of our community, how we are to operate. And that in and through our example, Lord, that those around us, that they would be inspired to take a step and to follow after you as well. Lord, and because of the lives that we choose to live, uncompromised, all in and sold out for you, Lord, that that it would point others in your direction and that the kingdom would be built and edified as a result. God, I pray for those of us who find ourselves far away, having taken steps outside the boundary of our covenant with you and whatever area of, of, of our lives that that may look like. Lord, I pray that they would come back to you. Lord, that they would repent. Lord, that they would turn away from that sin, not just confess it, not just bring it to light, but that they would turn away from it and that they would respond in such a way that says, God, right now, I'm choosing to surrender. I'm letting go of my own desires and my my own ways. And instead, I'm taking hold of your desires and your ways for my life. God, I pray that as they do that, Lord, that they choose to return to you, Lord, that you would return to them, that you would draw them close, that you would use them to accomplish more than they could ask, think, or imagine as they live their lives on mission for you. It's in your most holy name that we pray these things. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.